speaks this morning directly from you, Father. All these things we pray in your most precious name. Amen. All right. Good morning. So I'm not Jason Williams. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Nick. I get to be uh, one of your resident pastors here. Um, it's been a blessing that God has brought me and my family here to this church. And um, I told Jason when we first started that we just wanted to see where God was going to be leading us. And lo and behold, he said, just stay. And so that's how we ended up here, my wife and I. And, and so we get to do this resident pastorship as this next year goes around. And so most of what I get to do here is with the counseling and the counseling training. And uh, this morning, Jason asked if I could preach. And so I said, yes. And uh, so you get to hear from me. And do not compare us, okay? It's not fair to Jason. <laughs> so, anyways, as you're getting your Bibles together, let's turn to Colossians 1. And we're going to be looking in the 15th verse is where we're going to start. Um, I want to share a little bit about myself just so you know who I am and who's up here talking. Originally, I'm from Oklahoma, so you can applause later. Um, so I'm from Oklahoma, my wife and I, and we came down here to Fort Worth in 2007. And uh, we, I was going, actually, I was here first. Uh, we hadn't gotten married yet, and I was going to the seminary here in Fort Worth. And my wife and I got married in 2010, and so now we've been married a whole five years. So we've got everything figured out, and uh, we've got the minivan. Uh, we have two kids. One's coming in December. Uh, at least that's what we've been told. We'll see if it actually comes in December or not. And so, as you can also tell, some of my other hobbies is I'm really into fitness. Um, I work hard at this body. It's like a well-fined oil machine, like a Lamborghini, is like what I like to think about it. But most of you didn't realize Lamborghini makes high-performance dump trucks. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, anyways, so that's a little bit of who I am. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking in Colossians. And there's two things that I really want us to look at and uh, that we're going to pull from this passage. One is who Christ is, and the second is what Christ has done. Now, in the book of Colossians, Paul is our author, okay? Sixty years after the death of Christ, it's about 60, 62 A.D. And then in the church of Colossians, there begins this heresy that is now growing, Okay? There's not a name for it at this point, but what this is is the prerequisite to what becomes known as Gnosticism. And the point of Gnosticism is that there's this great divide between uh, God, the spiritual, and the material. And, and God and, and deity, the spiritual, is considered to be good, where the material is considered to be evil, or at least lesser. And so this, this heresy is growing, and so this affects the person of Christ, Okay? Because you can't have the separation of Christ's deity and making him lesser by his humanity. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Paul is hearing about this heresy that is growing in the church. Paul's in prison at this time in Rome, okay? And so Paul's hearing about what is happening in this church of Colossians. And so he's writing this letter, and this is where we get this epistle right here, the Colossian book. And so he is writing, he's addressing this heresy. And in one of the greatest passages, it's meant so much to me in, in all of my time of being a believer. 
And even this morning, I think it, it, can, it can change our daily lives and it can change eternity for us as we listen to how he proclaims who Christ is and what Christ has done. So let's turn to Colossians 1, verse 15. I'm going to read through into verse 23, and then we're going to come back and kind of look at how this is breaking down. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and in invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heed, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we go back to this first verse in 15, okay? So it says, he is the image of the invisible God. So for the first time, we've, we've had God, Genesis, before creation, all eternity. And we've had Jesus, and we've had the Holy Spirit. But for the first time, the image of the invisible God the Father has now become visible, in the person of Jesus Christ. And we see his coming being proclaimed through the whole Old Testament. It's leading up. It's building up. We see all these shadows and figures pointing to the, the coming of Christ. And then in the Gospels, we actually have Christ being born and his ministry beginning as he, he ages and grows and, and learning and doing about his father's business. So the invisible has now become visible. Now we see this in verse 15. So the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, by no means is Paul saying that Christ has been born or been created. He's merely stating the fact that firstborn in chronology. Because where did Christ exist before creation? In all eternity. There wasn't a beginning. There was not... A, a creation of Christ. He has always been with the Father. We see that in, G, in John 1.1 1, 1, where it says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. Okay? That Word is Christ. And so we look and we see He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Paul's not suggesting that He had a beginning, but that Christ is eternally and it proves His supremacy. So the thing this morning, we said there was two things. One, who Christ is, and the second is what Christ has done. And so this first passage that we're looking at is looking at who Christ is. And he is the image of the invisible God. He is Christ. For by him, verse 16, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
How many English majors do we have here? Anybody really good with English? Jordan has to be because she proofreads most of our stuff. Um, I don't trust the little paper clip. He's supposed to correct all of your grammar, but I have to trust him and use him. But prepositions are very important because prepositions show where something exists in its relationship or where it exists in its space. Does that make sense? We, we know what a preposition is. And so when we look at 16, it's showing, verse 15 says who Christ is, and verse 16 is now showing you where Christ exists. And one of the things that is, is crucial to my relationship with God, and it will be yours as well, is the centrality of Christ in our life. And there's three areas that we're going to look at the centrality of Christ. And the first one starts here with creation. Because it says, for by him, there's the first, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. If there's anything that you take away from this, this sermon this morning is that it is all about Christ. The centrality of Christ is laid out perfectly before us. It says, for by him. So God is the one who created. Jesus is the one who created. But it's not enough that Jesus is the one who says, I want something created. It says that it was him, by him, and it was through him. So not only did he have the desire for the creation, but it's through him and his person as Christ as God that it allowed creation to be made. And then the third one of the prepositions was that creation was made for him. Does that make sense? Um, contractors building things, you have your owner, and your owner tells your contractor what he wants, and the contractor builds it for the owner. That's not what we're looking at here. God says, this is what I want. I'm going to do it. And it is for my son, Jesus Christ. The centrality of Christ is that it is for by him, and it was made through him, and it is made for him. And if it doesn't make enough sense to show you that he's the centrality. It's showing also that he's above all these things. So it was for created by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Um, I love the outdoors. I really do. The indoors right now is amazing, right? Because there's air conditioning. So much of our world worships the creation rather than the creator, right? So we have people who love the outdoors, hunting, camping, fishing. When they're not outside, they're out of their element, right? Then we have other people, though, who creation's not their cup of tea because there is no cup of tea. So for those people, technology, air conditioning, air conditioning. They really love those things, and their, their amenities, they love them. And technology buffs, you know, you got iPad, you got Android, you have all of this technology of gaming consoles and TVs. You can record things on five different channels all at the same time. It's pretty amazing, right? 
But we get caught up in those things and we become to be worshipers of the creation rather than the creator. And as, even as Jason's been preaching through Hebrews, Hebrews keeps talking about how Jesus is better, is better than all the other things that have come, right? But even we in this present day who have the benefit of the whole of Scripture, we even lose sight of the fact that Jesus is better, that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus is central to the message of who the, all of creation through, through the gospel. And we start getting caught up on things like PTA meetings, baseball. Um, for, so I'm from Oklahoma, and I love Oklahoma football. The Sooners are our professional team because we got nothing else, okay? There was a point in my life, though, that I used to get really worked up on whether they won or whether they lost. The one was great. When they would win, I was ecstatic. There was not an issue, even though there really was. The problem was is when they lost, I was devastated. I mean, it wiped me out. And the problem is most games are on Saturday, which means what's the next day? Sunday. So I'm supposed to get my heart ready for who God is after I just lost my little idol. And the Sooners seem to lose at least one or two games every year. The problem is, is that Christ was not central in my belief. It became about my identity wrapped up in some college football game. And I tell you, it really came a point where I had to confess that to God and say, God, you're going to have to remove that from me because it became unhealthy. But even whether it's football in your life, or whether it's baseball, whether it's your job, whether it's your family, whether it is just being outside, whatever is taking place of the position of centrality in your life who should be Christ, it is sin. And so if we truly believe that Jesus is above all things, he is the image of the invisible God, for by him things were created through him and for him, then that means we should displace all things in our life that hold that rank of being central and supreme in our life. We do not worship creation. We do not worship technology. We do not worship people. Romans 1.25 says, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creation rather than the creation who is blessed forever, and amen. Creation is good and it's here for us to enjoy, but it's not greater than the creator. All those things, food, I mean, food is good, right? I mean, it has been made for us to enjoy and to taste and to take part of it, but it is not better than the creator. And all those things, if you take away who Jesus is and you take Christ out of it, they're worthless. Ecclesiastes tells us that. It's all vanity. So we look that everything is created by him and for him, and it was created through him. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So the first two few chapters we look at, or few, first few verses we look at, he is Lord over all creation. He is Lord over all creation. The second, he is head of the body. He is Lord over the church. Okay? So when we look at this, it says he is the head of the body of the church. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Because of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, he is the only one who has the right to be the head of the church. Not only does he have the right, he's the only one who has won that right by his, his life here on earth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So when we look at, we look at the church, it's not about the pastor, right? It's not about the elders. It's not about the deacons. It's not, take, think about all the churches that you've ever been a part of, who you think runs the church or who you think is in control of the church. It's none of them. None of those people or persons or entities have ever won the right or even be qualified and deserving of being the head of the church. Because if you take out Christ, it's just a group of people. The gospel ceased to exist, and without the gospel, which is what Jesus says the church is built upon, it's just a group of people. And one of the other things, and it's so important to understand how Christ is the head of the church, because if we put our faith in men, what are we going to end up doing? We're going to be regretting it. There was this teacher, and um, I remember going to their seminars and, and all kinds of things, and so for years and years, they thought he was just doing these great things, and I, I really believe that his heart was to do the things for God and, and to disciple families and, and young people, but it, it turned out that all that time, um, that he had some things in his life that were sin, and they were, they were shocking. They really were, and they were very devastating to a lot of people. And I, I kept asking myself, like, why is it so devastating to some but not to all? Because for some, he was everything. This one man, he was everything. And, and in, in the course of going through his teachings and, and following these things that practically would help your family grow and be more about Christ, they didn't realize that they were putting all their faith in this one person. And this one person let them down, and it destroyed what they thought they had built. And so when we look at, when we look at who Christ is, that he is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I love Jason, and I love our elders, and, I, and I've enjoyed getting to know them. But we don't put our faith and our hope and our salvation in them. We put our faith and our hope in the message of Scripture which is Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus. A church that is growing and doing God's word is a church that is going to be central on who Christ is and his word. Because when we step away from those things, it becomes a very slippery slope, it becomes dangerous, doesn't it? And so it has to all be about Christ because he is the only one who has earned that right by his death and burial and resurrection. Without Jesus, the church ceases to be important. For the church, it's all about Christ. Verse 19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I believe this, this one little verse right here, Paul put that in there because see, with, with this understanding of this heresy, for God to be existent in Jesus, Jesus had to be these and animations of lesser people or like angels so that we got to the person of Christ. And what Paul is saying that is the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God, his deity is not being questioned here. 
because he is fully and utterly God. So when God looks, and we look at the image of the invisible God, so if God were to look into the mirror, the image reflecting back is Christ. They are the same. Verse 20, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is important because of his reconciliation of creation. Before he was, he's important, he's central because of his role in creation. The church, because of his role as head. And third, his role in reconciliation. Man is reconciled to God when God restores man to a right relationship with him through Jesus Christ. There's an intensified form of reconciled that's being used in this verse to refer to the total and complete reconciliation of believers in ultimately all things in the created universe. The thing about reconciliation is that this, this passage isn't teaching that all people will be saved. That's not what it's teaching because you have to choose to accept Christ. You have to choose to believe. Because whether we want to say that God is God or that Jesus is lesser doesn't change the fact that he is God. He is not lesser. I can say what I want. I can believe what I want. But it will never change the position of Christ, his character, his deity, what he did in the story of redemption. It doesn't change any of those things. So for man to be reconciled, that God's saying that one day all things will be made right by Christ. And so reconciliation is not necessarily restoration of relationships. Okay, so listen to me. Those who stand with Christ, those who have salvation in who he is, God will have them blessed and they will be in eternity with Christ for all eternity. Okay? But those who stand in opposition to the person of Christ will spend eternity separated. This is the meaning of the reconciliation. God's justice will be served out. So whether you stand on the side of salvation or whether you stand on the side of being an enemy of God and being hostile in your mind, which we'll see later in verse 21, all things will be made right. All things will be reconciled. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. And we're going to look at that a little bit later because it's very important, I believe, for us to understand what Christ has been doing from the very beginning to the very end. So one day creation, all of creation, will be set free uh, from its bondage of corruption that is, and it will obtain the freedom of the glory of God. So as we take a shift here, so we've looked at who Christ is and what Christ has done and that everything is about Christ. He is supreme. It's not just something, it's everything. So now we look in verse 21, and there's a shift now, and now it's talking about us, or at least the people of Colossians, and we can draw from this. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, Stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. 
So at one point, all of us at one time have stood alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We were basically, that word is meaning cut off, being separated. And at one point, that was our position, was that we were an alienated, hostile enemy of who God is. We have all stood there from birth to now, or at least until birth, until your salvation. And so he's looking at them and he's saying, you were once alienated, hostile in mind. So that Greek term for an alien means to be estranged, to be cut off, to be separated. But here's that reconciled, Christ's substitutionary death on the cross that paid for the full penalty for the sin of all who believe made reconciliation possible and actual. So his reconciliation has been done. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated in his death, burial, and resurrection. But it's just waiting there for those who believe to make that, rec- that reconciliation possible and actual. And because what he does then is, and we look at later in the verse, it says that we become holy in his sight. And holy refers to the believer's positional relationship. Okay? He is separated from sin. He is set apart to God by imputed righteousness. And this is the justification that Christ has won for us. So it's not anything that we do. It's not anything that we can do. It's what Christ has done. It is who Christ is, that we are able to continue in the faith, that those who have been reconciled will preserve in faith and obedience, because in addition to being declared righteous, they are actually made new creations, new creatures. We see that in 2 Corinthians with a new disposition that loves God, hates sin, desires obedience, and is energized by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Rather than defect the gospel they heard, true believers will remain solid in Christ, who is the only foundation, and faithful by enabling the grace of God. It is all about Christ. There is nothing that we can do all of our works apart from Christ is, is worthless. The centrality of who Jesus is in the gospel, the centrality of who Jesus is in creation, the centrality of who Jesus is in the church, it's there. It's in his word. And for us, our, our responsibility is in the response to just say, I choose and accept that. a a very serious reality. I believe with all my heart that God loves, and this is what his word teaches, that God loves us, and God desires us, and he is jealous for us. We see scripture say that, right? But I also believe that Christ is not going to fight to win that place in your heart when you keep choosing that one thing. He's not going to force his way into number one. That, that truth of him being preeminent, being supreme is there. But he's not going to force that into you. He's not going to force that onto you. It's a choice that we have to make to say, this is the truth of who Christ is, and I believe and accept it. I believe and I accept it. So Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I want to share with you something that's been really powerful 
and impactful in my life in sharing the gospel. So as we get ready to, to wrap up with this last section, so he is the image of the invisible God. So if we go back to Genesis 1, all of creation is done except for man and woman. So we see in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, it says, let us make man in our image. Okay? So us, meaning the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is looking at making man. And it says, let us make man in our image. Now, I'm not suggesting what Scripture is saying is that we, were, we are God or anything like being little gods. What I'm saying is that we share two things, God's essence and his innocence, that we, we, we're able to think, we're rational. Um, if you look at all of creation, we are the highest. We have the ability to think and ra have rational thoughts on our own. So we share this image with Christ. So we know the story of Genesis 3. There's the fall, there's sin, death. Because of disobedience, fruit, Satan. So we see that image in all of creation changed, right? Creation was no longer the same. It wasn't the utopia um, that we see anymore. Our, our walk with God became alienated, didn't it? He clothed them and he sent them out. Separation. So we look at the history of the Old Testament we can look at our history right now. It's filled with creating images for ourselves to worship. Yes? Even in our own lives, we, we build up some things that ultimately we, we worship ourselves in areas. And so we look and we see in Genesis 1.26, it says, let us make man in our image. The image is broken. Man is constantly looking for new images. And then we get to John. If you, look at, if you pull up the passage in verse 14... So John 1, verse 14. Let's see if I can pull it up right here. So the image of God is now being revealed to us. And it says in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So back in Genesis, we have the image of the invisible. Yes? Now, John, we see that the word became flesh, the invisible becoming visible. And now we move on to Romans 8, verse 28. This, this is a very important passage, and it gets misused a lot for personal gain or to make someone feel better. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, from first reading, that, that's a very deceptive passage because you have to understand what the good is. All of creation isn't good, is it? I have weeds in my yard. They're not good. That's what some people say, but you know what? Weeds stay green. And you don't have to water them nearly as much, okay? And the other thing is, you'll always have them until God redeems the world, so... Don't knock weeds um, in your yard. I had to qualify that. So, there's not everything in the creation is, is good. Cancer. Um, some of you know, uh, back in February, my wife's parents, my in-laws, were in a wreck. 
on the highway. They got rear-ended at a stoplight. Why they put a stoplight on a highway, I don't know. But they're sitting still, and a 65-mile-an-hour truck just comes right behind them. Three of our, there's two nieces and a nephew were in the vehicle all under the age of five. And the youngest one, who was two, Tori, she just now got out of the hospital. She's been in Dallas for the majority of this time. And God saved her. That's all I can tell you. He shouldn't have, or she shouldn't have made it. But God saved her. That's all I can say. But bad things happen. People get killed. People lose their jobs. Financial hardships happen. Physically, we have to work hard to earn a living. It's not just handed to us. So what does it mean by good? Well, you have to understand that when it says good, it's meaning God's will and God's purpose. So you have to understand in the whole of Scripture, the Old Testament points to Christ. Christ comes. And now what are we doing? We're waiting for Christ's return. Because what did he say he was going to do? He's going to make things all new, heaven and earth. And he's going to reconcile all of us. Those who stand with God in position, being redeemed, and those who stand apart from God, being lost and separated. But God's making all things new through Jesus. So it says, and we know that God, for, we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There is an immeasurable amount of mercy and grace that God gives us in our everyday life. When you drive home from work or to work, there is an immeasurable amount of mercy and grace that you make it there alive. There's also a certain amount of hardships and trials and things that, that hurt that come along the way. The scripture says to count it a blessing. How can that be? Because it's all about Christ. And what Christ is doing is he's allowing even the good and even in the bad to draw you to him. It says he'll never let you have more than you can handle. It's because he's allowing you to have those things in your life so that you be pulled and drawn into him. Because he's doing something. So we read on. It's according to his purpose. God's in control. These things don't catch him off guard. Verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see the same language? The image of his son, the firstborn of his brothers. God is using all things in our life. And I'm not here to say whether you're experiencing hardships and why you're experiencing those hardships. I don't know. I'm not here to justify them or qualify them for you. I just know they happen because we live in a fallen world. But I can tell you right now, whatever it is, God is using those things to conform you into the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. It's not out of happenstance. It's not out of control. It says God is doing it according to his purpose, and his purpose is to make you into the image of Christ. So you have to understand that even in Genesis 1, God was doing something when he, well, Jesus was doing something when he created. He was committing himself to recreate creation. 
when God created, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that there was going to be a need of the Savior. He says, we knew that before the foundations of the world. He was committing his son. Jesus was committing himself to recreation. And so God is using all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And that purpose is being conformed into the image of his son in order that he may be, might be the first one among, firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's all about Christ. Christ is supreme. It's not just something, it's everything. And this morning, as we start to wrap up, I want you to start thinking about something. Is Christ something, or is he everything? Because maybe you're a believer here today, and there's areas in your life that need to be displaced because Christ should be there, and he's not. We're very tempted to compartmentalize Yes, I know I am. Work is work, family's family, whatever it may be. We can't compartmentalize Christ. And like I said, just because you say one thing about who he is doesn't change who he actually is. And for those of you who are believers this morning, Christ is supreme. Christ is everything. Christ is central. He is God. But there's something that can happen. When I say that he's not just going to fight his way into your life, that you have to put those things down and you have to accept him, it's an issue of proximity, really. You ever look at, like, I had a professor tell me this. So can a beach ball be just completely covered by a BB? Can you have a BB completely knock out a beach ball out of your view. The only way that's possible is if you set that beach ball out on the horizon and you put that BB right up to your eye. It's not that Christ isn't who he is. It's that we put other things in front of us and we keep him way over there. It's an issue of proximity. So is Christ everything or is he something? Do we, we hold him off in the distance and we hold our idols up to our face, blocking out the sun? Is Christ something or is he everything? I'm going to ask Jason and them if they'll come forward. And as the, the worship began, band begins to play, is Christ something or is he everything? If you're new here or if, if you don't know Christ, Christ is everything. Salvation is found in him because of who he is and what he has done. And today, this morning, to just make it as simply as possible, all you have to say is, I choose and I believe that Christ, you are everything, not just something. For those of you who are here that maybe your walk with the Lord has been struggling, Maybe you need to ask yourself, what areas in my life is Christ just something? And maybe there's something you need to lay down today that has been taking the place where Christ should be. As we looked in that passage, he is, he is Lord over creation. He is Lord over the church. 
He is Lord of reconciliation and redemption. And he's doing all that to conform us into his son, that we may be the firstborn with him. So if you'll bow your eyes and close, I'm going to pray. In the back, we have prayer partners. They have lanyards around their necks. They'd be willing to pray with you, to talk with you. We have a decision to make. You can choose to act on what God is revealing to you today, what his word has revealed, or you can choose to not. I pray over you right now that, Lord, in your power and your strength, those you are speaking to this morning, Lord, I pray it's everyone. Lord, that we would say yes to you. Whatever that way means, that, Lord, we would say yes to you because we recognize and we choose to believe that you are who you say you are, that you are the Christ, Son of God, and that because you have died a sinless life, buried and rose again, that, Lord, you have defeated death, and, Lord, that you provide salvation, and that all we have to do today is just choose to believe and allow you to reign where you deserve and rightly should be as central and supreme in our life. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.